Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. This is episode number 82. Um, I'm Ryan McLeod and this week I'm joined by Joe McFadgen of T Green Events. Um, we talk about her career when she went from, I think she called it a false start at university, um, onto her um, second university course then into her master's and her... Uh, unwavering love of glitter and how that glitter has literally followed her all the way through her career whether intentionally or unintentionally and uh, now she finds herself running tea green which uh, uh, now this year will be the five year anniversary of it where she um, puts on amazing events and pop-ups and sort of brings in great makers from all over Scotland we talk about where that came from, which is quite interesting, not really where you'd expect it to. Um, and I think the, the story behind that, I won't give it away just now, but um, for me it was about her gaining some sort of perspective on what she was doing and sort of having the, the rules or the parameters or the way she looked at things changed and then being able to take that step back and reconsider what she created um, really completely changed her whole career um, and I think that those sorts of things and those sorts of opportunities are really important in your career and yeah sometimes it takes looking at things slightly differently or getting someone to help you do that to really make a change that's significant but yeah and um, before we get into this week's episode um, I have an announcement to make um, as I've mentioned before on the podcast um, myself and Lyle Bruce as um, our design studio Agency of None are curating this year's Dundee Design Festival um, and we've now announced the dates for it. Um, it's going to be the 21st to the 28th of May this year um, so put those dates in your diary, set them aside and we've also um, just on Monday put live uh, two open calls so for the first one, we're looking for designers to each do a two-day residency at the festival in this sort of live production space to get designers making products actually within the festival space. So it showcases it showcases the process of design to all the, the visitors that are coming to the festival um, and we're going to make those products and then sell them as part of the festival um, within the festival space and beyond and some other sort of independent local retailers. Um, so that's the first opportunity that is live and the second one is all about the exhibition. So it's all around the theme livable, lovable, um, as uh, is the product brief. Um, but it's all about bringing in projects to be become part of the exhibition um, at the festival so all the details for all of that uh, you can find on dundeedesignfestival.com for both of the open calls and importantly they close on the 11th of March so you've got just under a couple of weeks if you're listening to this straight off or a little bit less if not um, so yeah please we are looking for designers looking for projects looking for great ideas and um, come and get involved and this is two really easy ways to do that um, so yeah check that out it's dundeedesignfestival.com so yeah um, that's the introduction let's get into the episode so this is number 82 and this is with Joan McFadgen yeah I mean I don't want to go back like super far but I guess I um 
had a kind of false start. I went to go and do a business degree after leaving high school and, you know, kind of felt like that was the, the thing I should be doing. And, you know, when I wasn't really sure and I'd dropped out of higher art and because um, there was a bit of a sort of don't go to art school, you never get a job vibe um, from my parents, maybe. Um, and so I just thought, you know, I'm going to go into a business degree. Uh, and, you know, didn't even get through first year in that and hated it knew right away that it just wasn't didn't feel right you know was doing human resources and management science and just you know would find myself sitting in these lectures like nah this is not like this is not what I want to be doing um and kind of at the same time I had been making jewelry for myself just as like basically instead of doing any coursework instead of doing any uni work I was supposed to be doing I would go home and like make stuff um and I've always been, you know, a bit of a magpie as a kid and always, you know, loved my granny's jewellery boxes and, like, that's a definite thing as, 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 as a, a kid, like, really want to rummage through all that sort of stuff. So I just kind of decided that, like, you live once. I really wanted to go to art school. I, I had actually always really wanted to go to art school, but being kind of put off it and thought, you know, what are you doing? Just, you, you might as well give it a go like it's cheesy probably to say but it's like that's your dream why not try and so from that stage I then you know broached the subjects with my parents and who were actually really cool about it and kind of realised where I was coming from and you know I guess they obviously want me to be happy and um, I had to go right back to the start and build a portfolio I obviously didn't have a higher art I had to standard grade only and so I went to college, got in, uh, did an NC in applied arts, and then I did a an HND in, in jewellery. And by that point, I was quite definite that it was jewellery that I wanted to do. I think partly because naturally that's what I'd been starting to do anyway as a kind of hobby, uh, kind of like unconsciously that was the way I was moving. And then I kind of maybe slightly more pragmatically was looking at it in that like, okay, well maybe don't go to art school because it is going to be harder to find a job but actually I could go and learn to be a jeweler and really that's a trade so you know that kind of helps to navigate that possibly it's funny that like the definition between what is a trade and what's not and like even so now I think that perception's changed yeah. and, and and now I probably wouldn't look at it like that anyway and wouldn't like even think of myself as a trade jeweler hmm. actually um and so, you know, I did all that and I got into, uh, applied to to Dundee um, and got in after, um, and I had I got into second year because I'd done the HND. Um, and so I was a wee bit older, obviously I think I was like was 23 or something like that when I actually eventually got to uni, to art school. And, um, you know, I, I kind of look back now even with, being so busy and, and stuff and think like that was a a massive achievement I mean I remember putting my portfolio together and everything and just being like it was terrifying um do you think like coming to at a later stage in your life like coming to art school was actually more beneficial for you because I've had a few people who've done that and actually felt that they embraced that experience a lot more and appreciated it a lot yeah, more definitely I would say so um I mean there is part of me that has like a you know a bit of a a jealousy for you know the, all the people that were in my class who were like ah 
um, you know, they graduate and they're 21. And you're like, oh, come on. Like, right, okay. You've, you've figured it all out much quicker than I maybe figured it out. But I guess some of those people then don't go on and do continue to do what they've done their degree in because they just picked a degree the way I was going to just pick business and do business and, and then end up, you do your four years or whatever and realise actually that's not what you want to do. Whereas I was like, this is this is what I want to do. You know, I'm focused. This is this is I've taken the time to figure out that this is where my kind of passions lie. Um, so yeah, I think I think so. It's kind of funny because we get potentially get pushed into university as a route, but you don't necessarily know exactly what you want to do, and then you no. have to muddle your way through that and work that out yeah. by trying a course and maybe yeah. having to redo or like look at another course. And yeah, so it's it's kind of yeah. I don't know how you're supposed to know anymore at like. 17, 18, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. My wee brother just turned 17. Well, he actually turned 17 on Tuesday, but we had this sort of birthday thing for him yesterday. And you just think, you know, how how do you pin that down just now? You know nothing about anything, you know. And he's a clever wee guy, but he still knows nothing about anything. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so that was a big achievement to get in and, and do that. And, you know, I definitely felt like that was the, it was the right thing to do to sort of, come away from the path that I was just going to go all along with because I felt like I should have um, and, you know, kind of aspire to, to do something that actually I had more of a, you know, I want something that I wanted to do every day and could see myself actually loving and, and not just being stuck in some big corporation doing human resources and, like, you know, wanting, like, just not, not being happy. <laughs> um, and so I did my, did my degree... Um, definitely wanted to come out and be a jeweller. That was the the sort of the aim of it. Um, and from there, I kind of you know I juggled multiple part time jobs. Like there was definitely a point where I had like three or four or whatever going on waitressing and shops and um, and then so I did that for about a year after uni, and then I decided I wanted to go back and do my masters. Um, and really I would have gone back and done like a craft masters I think would have been the the obvious one so at the time at Duncan and Jordanston there was the uh, design um, like service design masters and the fine art masters and the service design didn't really feel like I'm definitely a maker like I really like that's where I can kind of lose myself and you know I love trying to turn my hand at things and um so the service design wasn't really didn't really feel right and so I actually thought maybe the fine art one at least there's an element that you can still be kind of creating physical work so I went back and did an MFA um, and I mean that was a tough year coming from a design degree and going into a master of fine art was just you know the first whatever however first semester at least a lot of the time I was just like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what, what, what is this nonsense? Um, so it took me a while to kind of adjust my head into thinking like a fine artist and I don't think I probably really, really, really managed that. So what, I mean, what do you think are the actual, what were the, the fundamental differences? Uh, um, that's a big question. I probably am not, can't answer it fully, but it, I guess the way you're... I was going to say the way you look at things, but maybe maybe not because obviously designers have to look at things in a way as well. Um, 
and I probably am an like in terms of a designer I guess I would say I'm, I'm more of a maker maybe than a designer so I'm not sure I really even have an interesting point like as a like what I'm trying to think what is the difference I, f- I found that you're you're not solving a problem or you're not you know a fine art piece is something is is a different thing completely than a, a, a pro like a product or um so it's you know sort of for the sake of it it's just art for the sake of art but what I actually ended up the the way I sort of approached it was that I found myself wanting to try and make art that was about engaging people so to try and move away from this or at least have my work that it wasn't just this passive experience in a gallery where you're looking at a painting and not that it's massive like you know everybody can connect to a painting or, or a piece of fine art in different ways but I think I wanted something quite tangible then maybe than just the emotional experience like experience or response to a piece of fine art so it was all about an active engagement I guess is, is what I would say and what I would say at this point is that I think I've got a fine art practice that I don't understand and so that something happened in that year that I did stuff and I made stuff and I reacted and responded and I probably still could do with going back and revisiting actually what it was I did. <laughs> um, my my final pieces were um, basically big bits of jewellery and it was like until, it wasn't until I stepped away from the whole thing at the end of the year that I was like oh look what I've done and I didn't even really it wasn't massively conscious of it so I made these two big um disco balls and that isn't what they actually were supposed to be but this is like as a designer it's hard to go really fine arty and be like I made this something you know there's some there's a better explanation for what it is but my designer maker person's like oh well it was like a big pair of earrings that were like disco balls so anyway that's what they were like but you know it was much more deep and meaningful than that um but what it was about was that these they hung from the ceiling and I had big sort of a like uh, stage lighting I can't think what the proper big light so they cast off like massive like a disco ball would do big reflections and because they were quite low down it's sort of like slightly lower than eye level you had to actually come around and kind of interact with them so it was I guess what they were I was trying to represent was that it was the reflections were affected as people walked about and, and kind of engaged with them and that then in turn you know there was a like how that then reflected outwardly was changed so it was it was you know talking about authentic experience and how actually if you if you do try and experience something and it really engage with it that that can have a kind of ripple effect so you know that was a sort of physical way maybe of of, of uh, showing that and then the, the second piece that I don't think Duncan and Jordanson will ever forgive me for um is I basically again to like completely thing it down to like basics and take away the fine art artiness from it I poured a whole load of glitter on the floor I like a whole load of glitter I wish I could remember how much but it was like kilograms and kilograms of like glitter loads of glitter um as a big circle on the floor and underneath that circle I had been doing like these mandala kind of drawings as well as part of it and again it was this sort of 
talking about the kind of circular, um, you know, how one experience leads on to another and they all build and, you know, if like, yeah, just a sort of circular experience and if it's active and engaged then it all kind of flows into each other or whatever. So there was this kind of mandala thing that I'd done on, on the floor and what I wanted to do was that I wanted to sort of see how much people would engage with something in a gallery environment because again it's like you know you're kind of you don't touch you're not supposed to there's this like unseen barrier a little bit and again that's kind of what I was trying to break away from in my stuff um so I wanted to see whether people would engage with this playful stuff that was on the floor you know it's glitter like it's I know people some people hate glitter I I love it which I'm kind of ashamed of because I you know I like to think I'm not super girly and sparkly but I clearly am the, the thinking was that if people did start to engage with it and play, it would move out and that these little particles would inevitably then go with the people and create a trail. And again, it was about this experience and how like a physical way of, of showing how the like, ex- experience comes with you and it, it trails out and it sort of, it becomes part of you and then it you know, leaves little remnants. And um, this mandala would start to show underneath as a kind of representation of, of that. Um, the reason one of the reasons that the the DJ will hate me is because there's obviously glitter definitely still in the Matthew building for sure, uh, and in my sort of not with my unwisdom, <laughs> that's not a word, but um, I I wanted the glitter to stick to this mandala thing, so there was like a glittery mandala that was left, and the way I I figured out to do that really badly figured out. Was that I, was, I made a stencil of the, the the mandala, and then I got carpet adhesive. So it was in the Matthew building in one of their like lin, you know the linoleum tiled floors or whatever. I never told anybody I was doing this in exhibitions or anything like that, uh, and so just bashed on, did it, blah blah blah. It, it does not come off the tiles well. That I'm sure there must still be some remnants of it stuck to the floor. I did have to go in and like scrape it all off. They weren't. They were not happy. <laughs> not pleased with me. And I, I, mean, I didn't really think it through. I didn't think how strong carpet adhesive really was. Um, well, that's the legacy you've now left to to DJ. Cad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- that was my my masters, and and I, I kind of came out of that thinking, okay, well, I just put an exhibition on kind of myself you know you definitely are much more I I don't know it just it felt like you really you know it was on you to do it um and so I came out of that thinking I kind of felt a bit like oh if I can do that you know I'm I'm maybe more capable than capable than I thought I was um and at the same time Kate from Vanilla Ink had that just been starting to get off the ground and I was also itching to make jewellery part of going into the masters was that the, the the plan at the beginning was that I was going to make jewellery and look at it from a fine art point of view because you know there's the the thinking that jewellery is miniature sculpture it's you know it, it can kind of hold its own in it as fine art potentially anyway that isn't what happened it, 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 this obviously mad tangent happened where I made sparkly things you know there was definitely like I couldn't have been more of a jeweler trying to be a fine artist if I'd tried um, and these two big glittery big massive earrings basically you know I was sort of like ah okay I'm definitely still a jeweler 
Um, and so I was itching to really get back into making the jewellery. So it, it, Vanilla Ink was starting and it all kind of happened at the kind of perfect time. So I went straight from my master's into the Vanilla Ink programme, but I was the artist in resident or designer in resident, as Kate would have preferred me to call it, but I kept calling it that. So design, I was the designer in resident um, and was there for the first kind of year of that with the other nine jewellers who were on the programme. And we did a whole load of stuff together. Again, that was another like super intense year. Um, we, you know, we did our first big London trade show as a group and we did, we just did so much. Like it really felt like, you know, collectively as a group, we, you know, we gelled really well. We did, we did a really, really strong group and um, we just all kind of hit the floor running and did all this, you know, we did all the things and, you know, I made a new collection and, and did some other new stuff and, you know, really felt like the jewellery had really kind of, I'd, I'd found something, I'd, I'd kind of hit my, my, uh, I can't think of what I'm trying to say, you know, my lane, got my, got my lane, hit my lane, whatever that, you know, you know what I mean, got to the right track, whatever one of those, pick, pick whatever one of those you want to use. Um, so I was in Vanilla Link for that year and we did all, you know, we had a great year and then the next year I was still, had a, was still working in the studio um, but not as the resident anymore it was just like that was my I had a bench space and sort of kept working and would that be so 20 Vanilla Ink was 2012 into 2013 and then the next year 2013 into 2014 was when we just had the the, the sort of studio space and that's when um then T Green kind of happened sort of I mean out of nowhere I guess I've obviously never talked along this journey of like I really want to be an events organizer and run markets it was never ever ever like a an end goal it was never you know I never saw myself doing that it was never the way I was trying to move but it kind of organically sort of fell into place a bit through I guess probably a whole load of things all kind of combining it at once or all these different experiences sort of all coming to a point. Um, and so obviously we'd had the really amazing first year with Vanilla Ink and came out of that kind of then just been like, you know, expecting the ball just to keep rolling and, you know, the momentum to keep going. And the first Christmas after we'd finished the Vanilla Ink programme in like September, had all this new work, had you know, had it professionally photographed, and like it really had like it was a kind of level up, or I felt like I'd had taken a level up in terms of where my jewelry was sitting. Um, I had like one of the worst Christmases sales wise after it, uh, and then in like January, February, had sort of applied to do a couple of different exhibitions for that year because I, I kind of I'm I'm good if I've got things to like work towards I think I can if I, if I don't give myself targets sometimes before you know it, you've kind of lost three months and you've not done as much as you could have done and because we'd come out out of such a full-on year I was like okay I'm going to give myself some pointers through the year and so I applied to do uh, the Craft Scotland summer show which I'd got into the year before with like my old jewellery with not the great photos and stuff and so I had you know I was applying this year with my new stuff and all my new photos and thinking this is a shoe in like obviously doing this again um and then applied to pinweem i think it was like for the bursary um and never got either of them 
so I'd come out of like a rubbish Christmas sales wise not got into these things that I'd sort of assumed I was going to get into wrongly assumed that I was going to get into and then was just a bit like uh, okay right well like now what you know not really kind of a bit like not sure what to do and you know not really not expecting that that was the way that it was all going to pan out so tea green basically came about because so one I turned 30 in 2014 so there's nothing quite like that to make you think like shit I better become an adult um and obviously this other stuff that I had you know I, I then didn't have these outlets and this sort of these goals to work towards and thinking you know what am I going to do um and so I my uh, fiance's self-employed as well and he's always been self-employed since I've, I've known him and he had sort of seen that I was sort of struggling at the beginning of the year and he kind of said you know what you need is like I'm going to set you a challenge I'm going to give you because it, it's hard just now because you don't have like all the money you're making your living on so you don't have this pot of money where you can be like I'm going to do a thing with this money it's all just like you know you're just surviving from Hand it to mouth. yeah yeah um so he was like so I'm going to set you a 200 pound challenge I'm going to give you 200 pounds and I want you to do something with that that you basically double it you turn it over and you double it and that's you know you've you've got this sort of pot of money to actually do something with so I was like okay right well maybe I'll maybe I could make like a small little new collection of jewellery and maybe I could do a little exhibition somewhere and have like an opening night and like that could be a sort of way to hopefully generate some of the the sales and and turn that 200 pounds over and that was my kind of like maybe maybe that's maybe that's what I could do with it um and so I spoke to my sister who um is the general manager at the art school union in Glasgow so the Vic bar and all that sort of um and so she was working there at the the time um and was like do you guys have a space that I could maybe you know I knew they had they've got some little exhibition spaces that you can kind of hire out and I was like we got a space that I could maybe do this thing like Barry's sent me this you know challenge and I feel like that's maybe the way to do it and she was like yeah actually we've got um they had some event happening and she was like you know there's maybe scope to maybe have like a market as as part of it like maybe maybe you could do something like that and and so then it was kind of like this this other event that I could have been part of that wasn't the right sort of thing but then I was kind of like oh maybe I could do a market and that was kind of you know the sort of logistical like day-to-day of like how that kind of the thought arose but also having been in Vinalink for the, the year before and having worked with this group of makers and realising how much we, we actually achieved when we all pulled together and also realising how many of us were really, really working hard to try and do what we loved and make a career and make money from it. It kind of just felt like, oh, actually, maybe there's a way for me to put on something that I can sell my work at because I've not got into these other things so I've got nobody else to sell my work at so maybe I'll make something that I feel like is at the right kind of level you know looking to promote high quality handmaids because as a jeweler obviously my first hand experience of doing some markets is that you can be sat beside someone who's just buying in component jewellery components and they're selling it for five pounds and you're sat beside them and you've made it all from scratch from silver and you know nothing you can't sell anything for five pounds and the public don't always 
get the difference if you're sat beside each other than in the same event so it was it was about trying to to move away from that so that everybody that was going to be involved in it were all striving for the same sort of thing and they were charging the right proper pr- prices to sustain a business and so yeah it kind of before I knew it tea green was a a thing I'd committed to you know I, I was like all oh, right okay right you know and I'd committed to a date and and then I found myself like shit like I've, this is now this is a like I've made a thing and now I've got to do it um and that that's kind of how how I got to where I you know how I've got to doing tea green which is obviously my kind of it's now become my full-time job. Because, I mean, I'm assuming that the first event went really well for you to then decide, right, well, this is it. Yeah, there was a queue of people waiting to get in. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was terrified. I was terrified. And, you know, some of the makers that did the first one, you know, and obviously you're also putting, like, a mark, you're putting a thing out there for people to apply to do, um, thinking, like, who's going to apply? I'm nobody, you know, nobody knows who I am. I've just made this thing up. Like, um, I've got no experience of, of running a market. Um, and so the people that, came, you know, some of the people that did that first market still do tea green now. So it's, it, that's really cool that they you have been there from the sort of start. But yeah, so the the day of it, and obviously my sister got roped into helping loads and because, you know, it was like, what's the cheapest I can do? How What's the cheapest I can get the venue for? And, you know, Lauren was like, well, I'll be one of the members of staff and so you'll not have to pay, you know, any more for staff. And so Lauren did all the things. Um, and I had, get like, gift bags, like, goodie bags for the first 30 people come through the door and everybody got a glass, the first 30 or whatever, got a glass of Prosecco. And so I was trying to do... It was also all about trying to make an make it an experience, which is still what it's about. So, like, I'm, I, I really think that if you're asking people to buy potentially stuff that is more expensive than what you can buy on the high street that you there has to be it has to be an overall sort of their experience for people um and and then I think once they get there and they realize and they engage with the maker like then it doesn't need to be this all singing all dance you know I just have to get them there and it has to be this thing that they want to go to so that's where the the sort of experience bit comes but then once people actually see the work then it's like it kind of all makes sense to people like why things are the why yeah i mean you're getting people to buy into a sort of an ethos and an understanding and there's an education piece as part of that to appreciate that okay it does cost x amount an hour of someone's time plus materials yeah plus you're actually paying for this thing that's not mass produced it's produced by someone in their studio locally or nationally yeah and it's completely different to going into a high street shop yeah Yeah. or going into a craft fair yeah where people who are not necessarily doing that to make a living they're doing it as a hobby yeah 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 um and so yeah this, the first one went really well um i couldn't believe you know there was not it wasn't a massive cure or anything but there was still like people waiting to get in and i just was like oh, wow like how have i done this like how are these people even here you know just sort of like couldn't believe it and funny little side story on this is that i actually also what i'd envisioned tea green to be at that point was that not only was it going to be, you know, beautiful vent, you know, trying to be beautiful or unusual venues, um, that you would get a goodie bag and all that sort of stuff, that I wanted with my this was you know still had my sort of fine art head on kind of lingering, 
that I was also going to do some sort of like big installation for every single event. So that was the, the it was like, it's also going to be this like big thing. So in the run up to it all, I was like, I was going to make this thing. And so I, I don't know if you've been into the union up there but they've just the big room up the stairs which is like the big club room basically they've got this obviously big rigging for all the lighting and stuff so this massive big rigging and Lauren had said you know yeah if you do something you can you know you can hang stuff from the rigging or whatever and I was like right okay cool so I was going to make this big thing that was going to hang from the rigging and again more glitter actually probably glitter from the the art school which I've still got loads of it by the way anytime if anybody comes to any tea green and there's like little trays of glitter that's the glitter that was at the art school I've still got it and I reuse it which I kind of love um so anyway some of this glitter had ended up on this thing that I was making I don't even I, I can't call it anything other than a thing um and it basically consisted of like armature wire bendy wire that I then made into sort of like flaps <laughs> flappy shapes teardrop flappy shapes all on one big long bit so they were all like as one big long like flap gap flap gap and uh, (laughs) sounds great um and I covered them in tissue paper the flaps were big white flaps and then uh, they had glitter some glitter on them and in my head I was going to fill this whole big bit and the lights were going to light so you know kind of coming from the the what I'd done in the masters and it was going to cast all this like sparkly you know make this magical like make the space magical so I'd, I and I'd, I'd, I made all this thing and I mean I remember in wasps it was so long because I was trying to make so much of it that I'd like it was stretched all along the court I had to go out of the my studio out of vanilla ink it wasn't big enough and like it was this big long thing along all along the corridor and I folded it all up and put it in a plastic bin bag to take it to on the train to Glasgow because I didn't drive at this point so I way on the train with my flappy thing this big daft thing and all my other stuff from my market like you know totally crapping myself because this was the first time I'd ever done it so got there they brought the rigging down put it on the rigging and it was like the most underwhelming pathetic sad little flappy thing I mean it just didn't it was just I I, I wish I'd taken a photo of it but I didn't because at the time I was just like oh that's depressing like okay there was your sort of like reality check so that was before the market had even started and I had all these big grand ideas and I had obviously got people to come and do the market so that was a good thing at least and then I was you know I'm gonna have my big thing and then that failed and then I was sort of like oh maybe I've just maybe I've overegged this and maybe this isn't gonna maybe this whole thing's a disaster so yeah the people waiting to come in you know was great and so yeah from from then on I just I I kept going and I still had a part-time job at that time um and I did more at Christmas, so that was in the summer in 2014, and the Commonwealth Games were on in Glasgow, um, and then I did one in at Christmas or a couple at Christmas, um, and then at that point I thought, you know, I hated my part-time job. I was getting minimum wage. You know, I was making like what three, four hundred pounds a month if I was lucky, and just thought like. And I mean, I deliberately was part time because at that I'd made a decision prior to that that I was going to try and be part time to have some time to focus on my work. And then I just thought, if I can't make three or four hundred pounds a month either with my jewelry or doing something else, you might as well that dream that you had that you went for, you know, way back when you left school, like you might as well give it up if you can't 
actually do that yourself. So at, at that point in the Christmas of 2014, I was like, right, that's, I'm going to go full-time self-employed. And so I've been full-time since then. So that's been five, it's five, five years? It's five years this year. Hmm. It's T Green's fifth birthday this year. So how is it? How has it changed and what have you learned over those five years that's changed how Tea Green operates? I have learned a lot. Um, I I think there's an element of, I would say now that I'm just much more confident about being honest, about kind of admitting that a lot of it I've just made up as I've gone along and I would never ever have said that like you know a few years ago because it just felt like that's not how you're supposed to you know you should know you should know everything all the time and you should have it all sewn up and you should never be knackered and you know you should never be running about daft and blah 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 blah. what I I think now is that I'm just much more sure in I know I can do all these things. I've done it, so I think I've learned that I am capable of 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 delivering all these things that I've wanted to, you know, I've been aspiring to do to a level that pe- people want to come back and do the events over and over again. You know, I've got lots of repeat uh, makers, and the feedbacks always been really good. So I think a bit of an overarching thing is actually just I've learned to to trust myself and not feel bad about admitting that yeah you don't know everything all the time and and actually making up things as you go along and that doesn't just mean like you know it's based on it's based on experience so you're making it up based on experience but you're also allowing yourself to kind of go and build things organically and and have as things develop that you are open to the opportunities that come and I mean that's why tea green even happened in the first place because it was never the like I said it was never the the aim I never ever planned to do that so I think just because I'd kind of opened myself up to or or allowed the experience that I, that I'd had with other makers and and that this sort of thing kind of built in me that I wanted to 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 do and try and achieve was was just because I'd actually sort of allowed myself to maybe not be so tied down into like you've got to be this or you've got to be this and that actually it just evolved I I think I've been really lucky of how it's kind of organically developed without me having to really force that massively and obviously I've I've built it and that I'll you know I'll add other events and things like that on but it's kind of it's grown through word of mouth and and just I think because I'm a maker doing them I'm the same as the the people doing my markets so I'm not some big events organiser that's just come in and seen like a gap in the market and been like, I'm going to do markets because there's there's money to be made. Like, I'm actually genuinely want to create a thing that other people can build sustainable businesses as part of their, you know, as part, obviously, I can't be all things to all people. I wish I could be, but, you know, I know that there's that in people's diaries is like, you know, that's a, a little bit where I can make a, a chunk of money at those events. So, you know, yeah, learning to learn to trust myself, learn to just have confidence in that I, you know, I'm capable of doing what I sort of have set out to do. Um, in terms of the sort of 
logistics and running of it, I still haven't learned how to not do everything myself. I'm still trying to learn that. Um, and that's something I definitely need to, to sort of, to figure out. And I've still not learned how to do my own work. So yeah, that was one of the questions I'm going to ask is like, how is that the balance between tea green and your own jewellery? How does that work now? There isn't one at all. <laughs> why Why is that? Because everything's, everything's tea green, really. Um, and I mean, I do still have a, I've got a studio of wasps and I share with Scarlett, another jeweller, and I do go and make, um, and, you know, I, I do do the odd commission and stuff. So I still definitely have my you know my fingers in the making because I'll never not in fact the day that that I lose that I think everything will grind to halt because actually that's the passion that drives tea green you know I'm doing it because I know how much I love making stuff and so I know how much these people love making the stuff that they're making and so that's 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 what feeds off of it so it's just been I just I guess I've just struggled with finding the time to to do both and I've said I mean again I've said this year that I wanted to really try and give my jewellery some time and like I say I'm still I still make and I play but it's all play which is fine but there's no commercial side of it really I'm not in any shops I mean ironically you know tea green like I say was started so that I also had a platform to sell my work on I don't do any of my own events not because I don't think they're good obviously because I think they are uh because I don't have the I don't have the time I can't um you know I partly at the markets you know if Scarlett's doing a market we'll share a table sometimes because she can man the table I mean there's been times when it's like 10 to 10 and we open at 10 and Scarlett's like okay where's your jewellery because I'm obviously going to have to set it up here for you so that's great and you know people like Scarlett and Louise and like you know good close other maker friends they they can help out and I can do some stuff like that um but I just find that it's too much to also be there running the markets and and set up a table even which sounds like it's not that much but it I mean it takes it's it takes a time to set up a table and make it look good and actually I'm really out of practice now of that and also there's an element of you know these people have paid to be they've paid me to run a market and and run it well and so my main focus on the day of the markets has always got to be being on the ground to be there so so how does that how does the business model work well just that i do everything <laughs> <laughs> is that what you mean <laughs> yeah basically just i do everything so you you source the venue you I mean how much are you involved in sort of curating the space and where everything's set up and it's all me yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah I do all the f- like the floor plans I run all the submissions so then I make I sort of pick and, and curate them um, I do all the marketing I do the website I do all the like graphic stuff all the posters and flyers I do all that myself I'm there physically on the days uh, and so different venues are different some of them I'm physically I'm the one setting the tables up before people come in in the morning and so yeah I, I do it all so what what <laughs> makes a good venue there's I guess in like a market kind of t- 
tech, you know, business market wise, it's about having it being big enough to have, you know, a, a decent amount of actual vendors and, and tables and stuff like that. But so Kibble Palace is my big venue in Glasgow, which is this, you know, people who don't know, it's a gorgeous big Victorian glass house. So it's like, you know, having a market in the tropics. Um, and really, are really ornate tropics, you know, with like the beautiful ornate metalwork and stuff. And it again, it you know, I didn't necessarily go out sort of looking for a venue, but what I was looking for, um, or that I didn't, I hadn't sort of thought that's definitely the place that I need to be doing it. Um, I'd wanted to do something as part of the West End Festival in Glasgow because I'd lived um from the west coast originally which apparently is really obvious um from my accent uh, so I I knew that that was a busy I, I try and also pick um days where I know that there's maybe going to be other footfall so that I, it's not just me that's driving it not all the events run like that but some of them especially maybe in the summer when people aren't actively out buying buying because it's not Christmas so I'd, I knew I wanted to do something as part of the West End Festival and um had been in Glasgow and just was like, ah, oh, Kibble Palace, like, it's an amazing venue. And so, again, it kind of just, I kind of stumbled upon it a little bit, like, I, just from looking for somewhere to fit that, the the West End Festival. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's got a, a, a brilliant flow in terms of the layout. I don't know, do you know it at all? I don't know. Okay, so it's, it's, it's got a sort of, you kind of come in the front doors and it's got like a pond so it's got a, f- a first circle and then like a corridor and then a massive big circle and you, you you basically naturally you go in and go round and you go all the way round and then you come back so like you see everything it's a really has a really nice natural flow for people to walk around um and also it's just a beautiful beautiful venue like you want to come and spend time there the public it's a nice place to hang out um and for the makers it's a nice place to hang out and it's always warm <laughs> sometimes in the summer it's mentally warm we've had i've had like managed to to do them on i swear the hottest days that glasgow have had like three years in a row to the point where you know you're kind of like i might melt to death in this place today um but it's it's beautiful so kibble palace again it's just i love that kind of architecture i'm you know art nouveau and all that sort of thing really kind of speaks to me in terms of style so that that really ornate uh, and then they're kind of organic you know my my jewelry and stuff is all really quite organic so that sort of organic setting just really felt right and again it's a bit of a gut thing i mean i have done venue i have used other venues that i don't use anymore just because you know in terms of driving a footfall to them they can be difficult or you know they just don't have the same freedom in terms of how you can set it out or the flow doesn't work right or Kibble Palace is really you know it's it's been a really good one from the start and then I work out my other big market at the moment is out uh, in St Monan's at the Bow House which they're quite a new venue um they're a couple of years old now and they sort of set up with the uh, goal to be promoting local food producers so that was what they were all about and they wanted to bring in a a kind of high quality craft offering to sit alongside that and so they got in touch with me so that was just through um that connection and it's turned out to be a really good venue as well because they've obviously got a similar kind of ethos of what they're trying to do with their food producers and it's um 
it's a big old, I mean, it's a, a, I would say a big old barn. It's very, like, you know, the toilets are beautiful. I don't know why that feels important, but, like, you, you know, it's a big old barn, but they're, like, just so, fa- it's super fancy. So it's not, like, a dilapidated farm. It's a really, like, lovely big venue. But it's not super ornate or anything like that. But what it offers is this you know nice link and and they'd have live music and so it really is a weekend experience you go you would go and spend time and have some food and you know it's a really nice place just to hang out yeah because i mean it's like what you talked about before it's about creating that experience in a a really nice venue that you can sort of hone um so to, to fill that that venue who like what are you looking for in makers a commitment to their practice i think is probably like the initial one so I mean you can be a hobbyist but you have to show that you're committed to it that it's a passion that it's something that you're really doing because you love and then there has to be an obvious skill involved like it has to be well made um and and other and I don't have to necessarily it doesn't have to be my taste so I'm, I'm just really looking for good quality handmade which I know obviously that's obvious because that's what I've said but it, it, it is it's about um trying to to find the people and I mean I actually do I, I quite there's something in people who are like early stage or a hobbyist who's then trying to turn it into something like more serious that I really like being able to be there and maybe offer them a platform so I, you know, I will work with people if I can see that there's a really, you know, they are really creating something really usual, unusual, and unique and well made, and you know, they maybe don't have an artist statement yet because that's maybe, you know, that's the sort of thing that you have naturally because you've maybe done a degree in it, and that's. But if you've started the other way, it's maybe not something you would ever think to do. So like, I'm, I'm quite open to if, if somebody contacts me and sort of say, you know, I don't have that or I don't know what you mean. I don't, you know, I don't know what you mean by that. Then I'm quite keen to try and help people along because then it, I know that then if they do that for me, that they can then apply to other opportunities that will expect that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think probably just a commitment to practice. Good photos always make a difference because you can have the best stuff if the photos aren't good it makes it really hard for me to to pick um so so what what's the future for for tea green um to just to to keep going to just keep trying to do it all myself no i mean i'd like to get to the point where i'm not doing it all myself and that feels really difficult actually because i'm not quite sure where i'm going to relinquish any control over that because it's definitely my baby um I really want it to also develop into being maybe more than just selling events. Um, I've built this really, or not I've not built, but there's a really big community of makers out there who I've now been lucky enough to work with who are, you know, are part of a tea green community, I guess. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to do something to try and help in other ways like you know I've, I'm, I'm kind of I'm at the moment trying to gauge what people feel their biggest challenges are as independent creative businesses what what's the best thing about being an independent creative business and then also understanding how uh, pressured people feel about the sort of kind of issue potentially about making things to sell because that's what you, you know you have to do that if you want to 
be keep, like keep going but that there you then can really move a, or move or lose away from that just creativity and fun playfulness for the sake of doing it which again is what feeds the other stuff anyway and so if you lose that it's like you kind of lose your passion for it and then it, like that's almost cash flow and money is one thing that can kill a business but I think that probably could kill a creative business as well if you if you lose the, the space to just be creative for the sake of it and it's something that I am obviously very aware of because it's actually where I am as well and I, I mean don't feel like I'm running the risk of losing that but I really want to figure out how to to get a better balance so I'm, I'm trying to understand from some makers uh, I've kind of asked what how what their sort of take on that kind of thing is and I'm not quite sure what I'll do in response to that but I'm trying to understand and see if there is a if there is any other things that I can be doing to try and help in, in some of those areas um so yeah I mean it's it's, it will always be about creating these platforms for people to sell at and, and pulling together, you know, and, and champion in the, you know, amazing talent that's, you know, in the country and, and all the amazing work that's been made and that'll always be at the forefront of it. Um, and, and keeping it fresh and different for me as well to do, you know, the the markets and the pop-up shops and, and I'm always keen to try and be doing different things the pop-up shops allow me to be a bit more creative with the whole thing um so yeah I mean I guess I'm I'm kind of just seeing how it's going to evolve <laughs> see how it's going to evolve it's done it's worked so far so yeah but yeah I mean it's nice to hear that you would evolve it based upon the needs of the people you're providing oh, yeah. for yeah 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 it was, I mean yeah. it's it's nothing without all those people you know it's me with some rubbish big flappy tissue paper glittery thing <laughs> that's rubbish you know if the, if, if the people weren't at the fairs it would be it'd be rubbish <laughs> so yeah I'm very you know I feel very lucky to be doing what I'm doing and have been able to link up and connect with so many talented makers and um yes yeah, it's, it's all about them that's at the end of the day it's all about them so if, if people want to find you or come along to an event um how do they do that yeah, so the website's uh, tgreen.co.uk and we've got a kind of calendar of events on there that obviously gets updated as things get confirmed. And then uh, Facebook's a big one that I use. So um, they're always the events are always up there and the call-outs always go live. So if you're ever looking to exhibit with us for the first time, there's a sort of application process. So they, they go out on Facebook and Creative Scotland and different places to so just keep an eye out for them. Um, and yet if you're looking to find makers every event on Facebook's got an exhibitor gallery all the way back to the first one so actually that's a really good database for anybody who's looking to try and find what makers are making in Scotland it's a, it's a great way to link up with them and I, I, hope, I kind of hope people do use it like that because it's all about them being found by as many people, public shops, whatever, buyers Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Joanne. Um, thank you very much to her for coming and doing the episode. Um, also, she sort of battled through illness as well. So thank you very much to her for doing that. And yeah, uh, as I mentioned at the start, go and check out the two open calls on DundeeDesignFestival.com. Um they do close on the 11th of March, so go and do it right now. Get it done. <laughs>
Um, what I also need to say is, obviously, uh, Design Festival is coming up and I'm going to take a bit of a break on the podcast. Um, I'm not sure what my schedule is going to be like. Um, originally, I'd sort of penciled in another block of episodes, another block of five to happen around about April, um, but that's all sort of dependent on what my time's like um, over the next few months. So it's more of a TBC uh, when the next episodes are going to be, um, but I'm afraid that's that's it for the first block of 2019. Hopefully you enjoyed the five guests, and um, there's been some really nice feedback on everyone, so it seems like there were some good episodes, hopefully they were, uh, and hopefully it won't be too long until I get the next five out and with you, but you know what I'm going to say, the easiest way to keep up to date with everything that's happening, to know when the next episodes are coming out, um, just follow us on whatever platform is convenient for you. So Twitter and Instagram is at cccdundee. Uh, you can go to Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cccdundee. Or you can go on Spotify or any sort of podcast platform. Just look, search for Creative Chit Chat and we will be there. Um, so yeah, until whenever the next episode is. Bye.